Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right. All right. Good morning, church. Good morning. Hey, um, I, when you came in this morning, you had a card on your seat and a pen. I want you to take a second, get that thing out, everybody. Um, go ahead, get that thing out. Listen, we're just going to, if you'll give me just a moment, we're going to take care of a little bit of family business, all right? Um, every year, our members gather together for a meeting where um, what our elders do is they put forward kind of what we believe is going to be the vision for the next 12 months and uh, the annual operating budget that goes along with that. We did that a couple of weeks ago. We had some really good discussion on it. We actually adjusted some things, kept our overall budget amount, but adjusted some things to give more money to our student ministry, middle and high school ministry in particular. Um, and now we've, uh, we've done that because we just believe it's really important that the church prays together, is informed together, and then comes together and says, okay, we believe and we affirm the direction that our elders sense God is leading us. So here's what we do. We take this morning and we basically the way we all affirm together is just by indicating that on this card here. It's your kind of way of, of voting of sorts to say, yep, we're behind it or no, and here's why. So if you're a member, the side that says, I am a covenant member, put your name there, put your um, contact info, because we always want to keep up to date on that, um, your campus. And then, of course, the main thing there, I approve the proposed budget or I don't, and here's why, all right? And then we'll um, follow up. Now, if you're not a member... All right, if you're not a member, some would say it is silly or even exclusive uh, towards you to do this kind of thing in a worship service, but I actually wanted you to know, if you're newer around here, um, a little bit of who we are. Y'all, we really desire to be a church that operates with the highest level of financial integrity, and our, our process and the transparency we give to it is a part of that. This is just one of those ways we do that. But secondly, though, we want to be a church where everyone is able to actively participate in the mission that God has called us to. We believe that every believer should be engaged in the mission of God with their local church, um, and that's just because that's how God has wired you. So we call every Christian every Christian here to serve in ministry in some way or another, to give financially in some way or another, because that's what God calls us to in scripture. So if you are an observer and you've been an observer for a little while, or maybe you're a, a member, but you've kind of been sitting on the sidelines for a little bit, I want to invite you into the mission that God has called us to. That's what that other side of the card is for. If that's you and you're like, I, I, feel, I think I want to get take at least the next step to get informed more about what connection to ministry around here at Mercy Church looks like, whether that's community group, ministry team, giving, whatever that is, you can fill that out here, okay? Listen, bottom line, we are totally okay with you just coming, sitting, and observing for a while, all right? And that's because the Lord, he meets you right where you are, but in his grace, he doesn't leave you there. 
right? He brings you along. And as the church, we want to constantly invite you off the sidelines and into the mission God has called us to, all right? So you take that, and during the course of the service, you can fill that out, that pen that you have. That is your uh, gift for today, okay? You can take that with you. Do like uh, Courtney and I do almost all the time as we get to know servers at restaurants, and then we leave that um, as we've invited them to our church. That's a reminder, hey, this is the church that we were talking about, that kind of thing. So, all right, with that aside, uh, you can drop that in the offering bucket later. I don't want you to work on it right this second because I need your attention for the next 60 seconds to get into our sermon for this morning, okay? We're going to do a little exercise to move and transition into our sermon, and it starts, it's going to be 60 seconds, it starts with you taking out your phone, all right? So if you have your phone, go ahead and take that out. This exercise that is 60 seconds long is a two-step exercise. The first step is turning off your phone. Now, some of you, let me give you a little tutorial. Some of you didn't know this had this feature where you can turn it off, okay? So mine's an iPhone. Over on the side, there's a button, okay? If you press it once, it comes on. But if you hold it down, there's this little screen that'll come on, and it says slide to power off because it's not sure that you actually want to do this, okay? So if you slide, it turns off. All right, so I want you to now take that step. Now, for those of you that are starting to panic internally, that's part of the point of the exercise, okay? That that is controlling you a little too much. If you're like, but if everybody turns their phone off, nobody can video what's about to happen. Would you calm down? We video the sermons, okay? So calm down about that, and it's 60 seconds, all right? I'm doing that because I want you to be in charge of your behavior for 60 seconds and not the rectangle that's in your pocket, okay? So do that, all right? Everybody done with that step? Verbal response. Everybody done with that step? Okay, good. Now we're on to the next step. Here's what we're going to do next. We're going to take five deep breaths together. Now, I know some of y'all that are new to our church are wondering what sort of weird TED talk you just walked into. I want you to calm down, okay? Just five deep breaths, and then we're going to go back to things normal, okay? Uh, This is because your heart rate just went up at the idea of turning off your phone, and so we got to get it back down, all right? That's all that's happening now. Okay, so I'm going to count it out, five deep breaths together, and then we're going to get back, get into our sermon. All right, ready? We're going to breathe in for three seconds, out for three seconds. Ready? Go. And out. Man, y'all already feeling better. Here we go. In and out. In, I can hear you. This is great, man. Out. I didn't know that was going to be a part of this. Two more. In, and out. You only got one more. In, and out. All right. How you feeling? Yeah. I feel just a little bit refreshed. If you need to, want to, you can go ahead and turn your phone back on now. Um, I'm going to leave mine off for the rest of the sermon so I don't get interrupted. Um, if you turn yours back on, go ahead. Just make sure you silence it. You know, when your money moves ringtone comes on, we don't want that to disturb the people around you. Um, listen, today we are talking about God's gift of rest, of rest. And what we're going to see is that when he created the world, he created humans, he created an entire day of the week to be one big, long, deep breath for us. My goal by the end of this sermon is to convince you from scripture that God has created you and is now calling you to set aside an entire day for active rest and worship out of every single week. Not to do nothing, right? right? Like just then, 
When we were breathing, we were actively doing something. We didn't turn on 60 seconds of YouTube and just veg for a second, right? We were actively resting. And what if, y'all, what if you could have 24 hours of deeply restorative rest every single week? That's the gift that God himself has built into the fabric of the natural world for us. It's a gift. And so this is our, let me give you our sermon title for today. It's also the main point for today. And it's also a prayer that I would challenge you to maybe pray every day this week. Here it is. I will receive rest. I will receive rest. You're going to hear me say over and over again over the course of this morning, I will receive rest. I'm going to invite you to receive your rest because it's a gift. Now, if you're totally out in left field right now, you're new to our church, um, let me bring you in a little bit. Um, We are walking through the Ten Commandments, a very important place in Scripture that lays out God's laws for his people. They codify, what they're doing is laying out these laws. He's codifying what human flourishing really looks like, how to live well, how to have joy and peace that is more satisfying than anything else the world could offer. And today we get to the fourth commandment where God says, I want you to take one day out of every seven to worship and rest. Today is all about the Sabbath day. So we're going to follow an outline that we've been doing um, every single commandment and we'll continue to do. And that's to just look first at what it says. We're going to look at what the commandment says. We're going to look at what the rest of scripture says about the commandment, because that's a good way to study your Bible. When you're ever reading something, you're not sure what it's about. Look at what the rest of the Bible says about that. So we're going to do that. Uh, Then we're going to look at why, why do we break this command? Why do we disregard this command? That's such a gift to us. And then we'll finish with where we go from here. All right. So for the next 10 minutes, we're deep diving into what the Bible says about the Sabbath. Exodus chapter 20 is where you need to be, all right? Open your Bible up, Exodus chapter 20. Now, if you don't know, the Ten Commandments are actually posted in two places in the Old Testament. They're there in Exodus 20, which is our kind of home base for the summer, but they're also over in Deuteronomy 5, and we're going to get to that in a second. Here's the cool thing. When it comes to the Sabbath, these two accounts, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, actually articulate two different the two different reasons that God's people are to really hang on to the Sabbath and practice this day of rest. These reasons, I'm going to say throughout the course of this morning, are kind of like twin engines that are pushing God's people forward into that Sabbath rest that they know they need, but that they often push against. You're going to see these two continue to push us forward. So our passage here in Exodus 20 tells us the first engine that's pushing us into the rest we were created for. So I'm going to jump into God's word, giving us our introduction. You guys ready? Yes, you are ready. All right, here we go. Um, Verse eight, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You're to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. All right, let's jump into here. Very first word he says is remember. 
Remember, the, the fourth commandment, what's happening is God is putting into law something that has actually existed for a long time. This is the only one of the commandments that was already in play in some fashion before they even got to Mount Sinai where God's making the commandments. In fact, Moses says the reason nobody should work on the Sabbath, verse 11, the four, that's the, the reason why we don't work on the Sabbath, God built in a day where he rested. That word there, Sabbath, the word that I'm going to say a lot this morning, I already said a lot this morning, it literally, the, the Hebrew word is Shabbat, and it literally means he ceased, okay? He ceased creating. Now, God didn't like just, just you know, go on vacation for a day, right? He still actively, Jesus says, holds the world, um, and he's still actively ruling and reigning even up till now. He's constantly working. What he's saying is he ceased creating. Instead, he, he sat down and presided over what he had created. And why did he do that? I mean, he's God. It's not like he needed a break. He doesn't get tired. Why does he rest? It was a rest of achievement, of achievement, it was taking time to enjoy what he had made. Like um, if you were to build a fire pit in your backyard or whatever else, you know, it's one of those projects that I got for, for myself this summer. You build that fire pit in your backyard and then how do you rest? You don't rest by ignoring it once you build it. No, you bring some friends over, you build a fire, you make some s'mores or whatever you do with it, right? And you have a good time. God's rest was the rest of achievement and enjoyment of what he had created, not the rest of inactivity, Track with me there. Think about Adam. I assume I read a guy who I just never thought about this before. You think about God had created Adam on the sixth day. Adam is a day old, all right? He was actually born yesterday, the only person who's ever been able to say that, right? It's his first full day on the job, and God's given him a big job, right? I want you to rule over creation. You're going to name all the animals, everything else. Adam's got to be ready to go, and God says, okay, Adam, for your first day on the job, I want you to rest. I want you to rest. Not because you need a break, but Adam, I want you to rest because I want you to learn as you walk through creation to work from your rest, not to work for your rest. Right here, Adam, I want you to see that the starting point for everything you do is resting in my presence with you. You're not going to be working for the weekend Adam, no, you're going to be working from a place of rest in me. And that's the Genesis account. Well, then we have God pull his people out of slavery. And now they're wandering in the wilderness in Exodus. And in Exodus 16, God makes a point to say, okay, guys, I'm going to provide quail and manna. We looked at this earlier in this series. Every single day for you, I'll provide it fresh. Don't store any up. Just get it fresh when it comes to you that day. All right, don't store it up. And then he says, except except on the sixth day. On the sixth day, I want you to go ahead and get two portions, and I want you to go ahead and cook both portions because the Sabbath day is coming, the seventh day, and I'm not gonna send any out because there's not gonna be any cooking on the seventh day, all right? The Sabbath was this holy day of leftovers, and the leftovers were gonna be preserved, and they were gonna be fine because even there in the wilderness, God is reinforcing the creation account, the very thing he's bringing up as an explanation for why they're not to work. He says, remember how he created the world. And that's our verse 11 here in Exodus chapter 20. The Lord blessed the Sabbath day. He blessed it. It's the only day out of creation he does that, y'all. Think about this. Think about the different things that he has done through creation, including his crown jewel that is us as humans. But he blessed the seventh day, the day that he creates rest. 
and declares it holy. That's the first engine propelling God's people into this Sabbath rest. It's that we were created to rest. The Sabbath day reminds us that built into our fabric of who we are as humans, we are created to rest. You know, there's a, um, the history, one of the interesting spots in history is the French Revolution. During the French Revolution, uh, there was a big attempt by those that won to de-Christianize France. That was one of the, the main agendas. You go back, read through your history books on that. And one of the things they did is they outlawed Sunday as they introduced a whole new calendar. They wanted people to work. They wanted to get Christianity out of the public space. And so they created the French Republican calendar. All right, this is November 19, uh, excuse me, 1793, right? In November in that year, they take this whole thing where they, they're like, all right, new calendar, and it's a 10-day week. All right, and in the 10-day week, you're gonna work for nine days, then you have a day off, but they eliminated the name Sunday, all right? That day no longer exists. Now, you may not know about that because it only lasted 24 months. And at the end of those 24 months, the mental health of the nation had totally collapsed. And so they had to reinstitute the seven-day with Sunday being a day of rest because, y'all, People, you can try and marginalize Christianity as much as you want, but humans are created to rest. So that, that engine is driving us towards the practice of the Sabbath day. We're created for the day of rest that God in his grace extends to us as a gift. Yeah. Now let me show you the other engine propelling us into rest. It's in the Deuteronomy account. You can flip over there if you want to. I'll have it on the screen. It's Deuteronomy 5, verse 15, another reason why we are to rest one day in seven. He says, remember, remember, isn't this great? Remember the Sabbath day was our Exodus 5. There's this remembrance. There's God calling to mind that which his people should have already known and been actively thinking about. Remember this time, though, that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord, your God, brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why the Lord, your God, has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Because there was a time when you couldn't rest. In fact, one of the, the very part of, in the nature of oppression, is the withholding of rest from the people that you are oppressing. And God is saying, I brought you out of that, out of that captivity. The Sabbath, y'all, it involves, so what the Sabbath does, it involves resting in, in a worshipful response to what God has done. Leviticus 23 is going to tell you that the, the, the Israelites, part of this Sabbath rest was actually gathering together, all of the Israelites coming together so that they could worship. So in the Ten Commandments, God instructed them, gather every week with your brothers and sisters, worshiping the one who set you free from the oppressor who would not give you rest so when you practice the Sabbath day, you're not just receiving the rest that you're created for, you're the, receiving the rest that he has redeemed you for. The Sabbath day, y'all, reminds us we were redeemed to worship our God. And if there's echoes of the gospel of Jesus Christ in that, that should not surprise you because that's what Israel is for the New Testament. The New Testament adds a lot of fuel to this second Sabbath engine of redeemed to worship. Gospel of Mark, Jesus' disciples are out picking grain on the Sabbath day. Some religious leaders come out and they're going to accuse them because, hey, you are breaking the law. You can't break the law of not working on the Sabbath. And Jesus looks at them and says, Mark 2, listen, the Sabbath 
was made for man. It was a gift made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And he says, even so, the son of man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. Here's what he's saying. He's reminding them that the Sabbath is a gift from God, not a burden. It's designed to bring God's people closer into him. You don't earn a gift, you receive a gift. And these religious leaders were really good at turning God's good gifts into burdens. And Jesus was angry at him for it because the Sabbath was created for rest and for delight and it had become a hollowed out works-based tradition. They weren't delighting in the Sabbath. It wasn't this restorative celebration of God's creation and redemption. It was a burden that they were using to impose fear and guilt onto their people. And so the apostle Paul follows Christ in Colossians 2 and says, listen, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, these ceremonial laws. These are a shadow, this is so important, a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. The apostle Paul is addressing a new young church, people coming from all different types of religious backgrounds. And he's saying, listen, Christ has fulfilled the law that Moses laid out. All the purpose of those laws was to point us to Christ. So while you are not bound to Friday sundown to Saturday sundown Sabbath, like the people of Israel, show grace with each other and how this works out. Here's Paul's bigger point. The Sabbath day is a shadow of the Sabbath God. When Jesus says in Mark 2, he's Lord of the Sabbath, he means he's the God you can find your rest in. No wonder he says, come to me, all who are weary, right? All who are heavy laden, give your burdens to me. Let me carry them. Come find rest for your soul. The Sabbath day was a signpost pointing us to Christ. Just as God brought the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt, he has brought you out of slavery from your sin, sin that makes you constantly anxious, wondering if you're doing enough, if you're achieving enough, sin that just like a slave master, master asks more and more out of you and gives you less and less in response the more you serve it until eventually you crash. And Jesus says, I've come to liberate you, liberate you from that. And you can rest finally in me. Those are the twin engines pushing our practice of a weekly day of Sabbathing. We're created for rest and we're redeemed for worship. Then here's what the author of Hebrews pulls these two things together in a really beautiful moment in Hebrews chapter four, verses nine through 11. And he puts this maybe together in a good perspective for us. He says, therefore, a Sabbath does remain. A Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort, brothers and sisters, to enter that rest. What he's saying is quite beautiful. We now have a constant rest that we can enter into. We'll be tempted to drift away from it to drift into finding security in the works of our hands and our achievements, but a Sabbath rest remains, and that rest is Christ. And the person who will enter into Christ, who believes salvation comes by faith in his work and not by our own works, can rest just as God rested. See, Sabbath rest offers something way more than just a day off once a week. We enter into Sabbath rest when we receive the gospel. 
The gospel has two parts. It says we need, to, we need to rest from trying to hide our sins, right? Rest and peace come only as a result of when you're convicted of your sin, just like relief from appendicitis comes only when you get the appendix out, right? True peace and rest comes only through being convicted of your sin and allowing Christ to wipe your slate clean from that. And y'all, we also need rest, not just from hiding our sins, but oh, we need rest from striving in our works, if I'm in a conversation with someone who's newer to our church, and, and I'll ask because uh, it's pretty common to have people who are not Christians come and, and, and just sit and learn here at Mercy and hear. And so I'll ask, you know, are you a Christian? And a common response that I get is, well, I'm trying. And, and I actually appreciate some of that. I appreciate some of the heart there, um, some of the humility that comes with that. But also, it's a little bit of a flag to me that maybe they don't yet understand the gospel because the gospel says it's the very minute you realize that you won't make it on your own that you will finally begin to have peace in your soul. To receive salvation from your sin and salvation from your works, that's where you begin to find rest. The way the old hymn says it, lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus's feet and stand in him and him alone, gloriously complete. Now let's pull our survey of scripture to a point and ask if the Sabbath was a 24 hour Friday, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday day of rest and worship for Israel, what should it look like for Christians? The New Testament seems clear where to find our Sabbath rest first and foremost in a person, in Christ. We receive our rest when we receive Christ, and Paul clearly reinforces we are not burdened by the legal requirement of it anymore, but that does not change the value of the gift we are created to receive and that we are redeemed to respond to. So here's the way I'll say it. The gospel does not undo the rhythm of Sabbath worship and rest. It enhances the gift of it, and it frees us from any burden of it. So should you take 24, a 24-hour period of rest and worship every week? Of course you should. You're created for it. You're redeemed for it. That's what scripture shows us. Those twin engines of rest and worship are still pushing God's people into this beautiful day-long practice that pushes us into the rest that comes from knowing God himself. I want to take a couple of minutes, though, and talk about why, why here in our day we don't receive this rest why we disregard it so easily, and then we'll finish with some really practical handles for where we go from here. So why don't we receive it, y'all? This was deeply convicting for me, okay? Um, this week, I mean, I, I found myself preparing a sermon that I, like, really needed to hear myself, you know? Um, I do not practice this weekly rhythm of rest and worship near as much as God calls me to. And so I found myself going, much like with a lot of these commandments, I'm gonna be, Courtney and I have some conversations that we have coming to help us figure out how as a family we can really lean into and receive the rest that God offers us. And here's a couple of things I found in myself, and I think it's true of, of, a, lot of a lot of us. And the first, the reason we don't Sabbath like God calls us to, we have a poor theology of work. One of the most telling things about us as a culture, tell me if this rings familiar, is that one of the first questions we ask when we meet someone is, what do you do? What do you do? We ask that because in our time and in our culture, our identity is defined in large part by our occupation or job title. And if you've ever been in a season of unemployment, you know how awkward it can be to get in a conversation because you feel like that question's coming. 
Because we instantly and often subconsciously classify and value people based on what they do. Which then means, watch how we connect the dots. If that's what we do, then rest only exists to serve work. If you've been listening today and you thought, yeah, man, it really would be good for me to get a day off so I can be better at my job. You're missing it. You got it backwards. You're making work your core identity and you're adding rest into the mix of the things that can serve your work. Don't go there. Instead, you got to reorient your whole life as starting from a place of rest. God didn't create you, excuse me, God created you to work from a place of rest, just like he did with Adam. And by that, I mean, you'll have a sense of peace and steadiness that work just can't take away from you. Good day, bad day, maybe you got a good job right now, maybe a bad job right now, but when you work from a place of rest, workplace problems cannot shake you in the deep places of your soul. And that rest starts with remembering the gospel, that in Christ, God approves of you, so you don't have to prove yourself to anyone today. Now, I'm not saying Christians shouldn't care about their jobs. It's actually the opposite. Instead of doing them for the approval of man, they should do them to the glory of God which means be the best at whatever God has put you in right now. Be the very best at it that you can be to his glory instead of just for the approval of man. We got a lot more that I'm excited about this fall. We're gonna be doing a, a gospel and work um, forum uh, on one weekend in October that uh, we're gonna get into this with a lot of people that have a lot of experience in that field. But y'all, you can work from a place of rest instead of working just hoping to get the approval of others. Here's maybe a second part to that prayer I gave you, other, or gave you earlier. I will receive rest. You can write this down, and maybe this needs to be your prayer each morning. Um, I will receive rest because in Christ, God approves of me, so I don't have to prove myself today. Down in that deep places of who I am, in Christ, God approves of me, so I don't have to prove myself Today, you don't have to earn your peers' approval, your clients' approval, your boss's approval, your employees' approval. Some of you need to hear right now, you don't need to earn your parents' approval. You have Christ. And the gospel says God himself looks at you and sees the work that Christ did on your behalf. So now he pours out his love and approval onto you. And he says, abide there. Make your home there. Work from there. The essence of being in God's image, which is what Genesis 1 tells us we're created in, is our ability, like God, to stop. To stop. We imitate God by stopping our work and resting. We can stop for one day a week. And I'd even say for little mini versions of a Sabbath every single day, we will touch something deep within us as image bearers of God. Our human brain, our bodies, our spirits, our emotions are wired by God for the rhythm of work and rest in him. Not only do we have a poor theology of work, though, the other reason that we don't take this time is we have a poor theology of rest. All right, tell me if this tracks. In our day, we don't really turn work off right? Except for maybe a vacation if you're fortunate enough to be able to provide for one. But for most people, you're in some ways always on. We've taken the on-off switch that existed maybe a generation or two ago, and we've upgraded it to a dimmer switch. 
So now we're never really fully off. We just sort of dim work down a little bit in times, but you're always on. Your email is always accessible. Your boss has your cell number and could call you whenever. And even if you aren't physically on, even if you do manage to shut that all off, tell me if this rings true, your brain is still thinking about it all the time. You still haven't allowed, your, allowed Christ to take those thoughts captive. Y'all, this is so convicting for me. It was this week, as I am preparing a sermon on rest, that I wake up at 4 a.m., not because the alarm went off, just thinking about all the things that I have going on at work. It's like I can't stop. And maybe that's you. We just don't know how to shut it off. We don't know how to rest. I shared this with you a few months ago. I thought it was such good insight when we were talking in the creation account. A guy named Tim Kreidner wrote an op-ed in the New York Times on the busy trap. He said a lot of Americans have fallen into. Here's what he said. He said they're busy because of their own ambition or drive or anxiety, because they're addicted to busyness and they dread what they might have to face in its absence. I can't help but wonder, he said, whether all this histrionic exhaustion isn't a way of covering up the fact that most of what we do doesn't matter. We go, hadn't he hit on something? We go, 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 and then we just crash. And we think that the rest that God has for us is just vegging, binging a TV show or going on another weekend getaway to sit and drink enough to numb ourselves from reality for just a little bit. Y'all, rest isn't meant to numb you from the real world. It's meant to restore you for the real world. That's why rest for the people of Israel always involved a time of assembling together for worship. It's why the early church turned the Sabbath day and looked at this idea of rest. It looked at this practice of rest that it saw in Israel. And it said, this is good. We're created for this. We're going to move the day from Saturday to Sunday. We're all going to gather together because we need it, but we're going to make it on Sunday because that's the day that the Lord got out of the grave. It's not going to be on Friday when he was crucified because without the resurrection, that's really bad news. So we're going to put the day on Sunday and we're all going to get together and we're going to celebrate that Christ got out of the grave. We're going to celebrate the implications of that for our lives. And when I hear you singing and I'm singing and we're listening from God's word together, that is restorative to my soul. And that's what God's, that's where the Lord's day came from and why we're even here today. Because the activity of worship, especially gathered together believers, leads the soul deeper into rest. So where do we go from here? I told you at the beginning of this that I believe God is calling you to set aside an entire day of the week, every week, to worship and rest. That doing so is going to be receiving the rest that God is offering you. So how can you get there? Let me finish with a couple of practical handles. First, how do you receive Sabbath rest? Just start somewhere. Maybe start with a half day. Maybe a full day is, is too much. Just start somewhere. Give yourself some grace. Listen, there is no reason you can't take a half day in the course of your week, unless, and some of y'all have been waiting for me to say this the entire sermon, so let me say it, unless you are the parent of a preschool-aged child. Amen. Hallelujah, amen. That's right. I got four kids that are 10 to five. The last one's about to go into elementary school. Thank you, Lord, right, okay? Listen, if that is you, God loves you, <laughs> and so do we, all right? And life is gonna be okay again one day. 
Yes, your shirt is on inside out and it's backwards. And yes, that's a sock clinging to you, um, but it's going to be okay. You may be physically and mentally exhausted right now and you need to hear God loves you. And listen, if there are two of you, you guys try hard to be partners in helping one another Sabbath, okay? Try, try and figure out how do, how do we do this? Let's figure it out together. Have a ton of grace with each other. If there's only one of you, listen, come and talk to your pastors. Let the church help you. And give yourself a lot of grace in this area. Certainly the Lord does. And there are seasons, y'all, that, that leads me to say there are seasons where Sabbathing is going to look different. But if you remember that it is a gift and not a burden and that you're created for it and you're redeemed for it, then you'll long for it and let that longing drive you there. Here's another practical step in receiving Sabbath rest. Worship alone. I do believe that Sabbath resting involves some real set-aside time to commune alone with the Lord. I, again, I think that should be built in every day, and every day where you're spending time in the Word and in prayer. And I get up, for me, uh, with all those little ones and the way my world works, I just got to get up early if that's going to be a regular rhythm for me. Um, but certainly, that should be kind of modeling what we then get in full on a Sabbath day. And if that's new to you, the idea of like, all right, I'm going to sit down with my Bible and, I don't know, try and worship alone or whatever, listen... Let um, one of our pastors, we would love to show you, or a community group leader, would love to show you what that can look like. We have tutorials on our website. We just spent a whole month on this right around Easter time. Um, thegospelwheel.com is a site you can go to we put together to help you. But we'd also just love to teach you to be able to enjoy and receive how you can receive the rest that God offers you. Let us help you with that. Here's the second thing, though. Don't just worship alone. Worship with others. For many people, a Sabbath is, as I was talking about with the early church, it's now Sunday where they can be reminded of God's love for them and can celebrate it with others. I know you're not surprised to hear a pastor say this, but it is vital for you and for others in the body that you come and worship here in your local church every week. We need that rhythm of worship, and that comes with a commitment to one another Y'all, we're very convicted about this um, as a leadership team, as an elder team, and how we build our ministry teams around here, because we want you to be able to serve others on the weekends. It takes a lot of people to pull off our weekend worship gatherings. We want you to be able to do that while you rest, which happens very naturally when everyone is engaged a little bit. When everyone watches only a handful do the work, the church gathering starts to become a place with a large audience and a select few burn out after a little while. All right, but that's not what we long for this to be. We long for it to be a family that gathers together and serves one another as we worship one another. Uh, some of us are on, in our church are on staff like myself. And so this day is a work day. It's actually been a real source. I've been calling some other guys of how do you Sabbath well? Because I love worshiping with my church together. How do we do that? This is not my Sabbath day. Um, we try and practice it on Saturday, my family, but we're working through what that looks like because it's not about the day. It's about the practice. And here, here's the last thing I'll say. Find a form of rest that is restorative, not simply inactive. Today's sermon was not sponsored by Netflix, okay? <laughs> this isn't the green light to veg out. You may need some of that, but inactivity isn't the goal. Restoration of your soul is. Some people, I read a rabbi who said this, uh, if you work with your hands, then rest with your mind. If you work with your mind, you may need to rest with your hands. I'm one of those that most of my work is with my mind, so I enjoy resting with my hands. Listen, I find lawn mowing to be quite restful. I mean, all you have to do is like just cut all the blades of grass. That's it. 
It's pretty mindless, and I can just walk it. Don't have to think about anything. It's really enjoyable for me. But now major yard work, that's a different thing. Some people work with their hands, so reading a book or whatever kind of mental simulation you might get into is good for them. Whatever, y'all. Enjoy God through his creation, the natural world and his people. Now, if you're gonna try this, you're gonna need to plan a little bit, all right? Let the people closest to you know, hey, I'm gonna shut off normal communication. I'm gonna give this a, a shot. Just define your boundaries and be flexible. Make a list. Here's the things that I will do, right? Here's, here's what I will do. I will receive rest. I will spend time with others. I will spend time alone. I will enjoy, maybe it's I will enjoy creation, but then here's a list of the things I won't do. Right? I'm not going to look at a screen, maybe. I'm not going to run errands or do chores, whatever that is. Whatever you do, the Lord is calling you into, inviting you into to receive the rest that you were created for. Receive the rest that he has redeemed you for, that he extends to you and offers you even now, today. Let me close. I want to close in a time of prayer so that you can actually... Um, talk and respond to the Lord with whatever it is that he might be convicting you of as it relates to Sabbath rest. So would you bow in prayer with me? Maybe with open hands and a posture of prayer, you, you might need to physically get there in order to respond to God and to his word. Say, Lord, I will receive rest. Ask, ask him to show you what you need to say no to so that you can say yes to the rest he is extending to you. And brothers and sisters, in this moment, thank him, worship him for the rest that he has given you in Christ. The deep, eternal peace the presence of God with you in the form of his spirit. Abide again now in that rest. Make your home there. Thank you, God, for saving me. I receive that rest. If you've never given your life over to Christ before, that's your prayer today. Talk to him. God, I, I realize I've been trying to work for my salvation. I've been trying to hide my sin. I need rest from both of those. I believe Christ died for me. I believe he rose again so that he might reconcile me to you and I might have rest. I believe it. I receive it. Thank you for your great love towards us, Father. God, I know how much I push against this wonderful gift that you offer me. I know how much we do that together to our own peril. But in your grace, you still extend it out towards us. You're still a father with open arms calling us to come and rest. So God, I pray that Mercy Church will be a people of rest. Would those who have been wandering, who are tired down in their souls, would they be able this morning to say, I finally have rest. I've found the rest of God through Christ. 
Would we celebrate that as we leave this morning, as we walk in our week? Would we be able to be people who celebrate from and who work from a place of deep abiding rest in your great love? We worship you. We praise you in the name of Christ. Amen.